if you can explain what the company does and the why behind it, and as the founder, you use yourself as the main character, not to give yourself significance, but to give your audience significance so they can see themselves in your arc, in the pains, desires, and transformation. Matt, it is so, so powerful. And literally, it's selling without selling. And that's the beauty of storytelling, man. It's just the most authentic and organic way to influence people without being icky. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Super excited about today's guest, who is a legend in the sales field, particularly B2B, business to business. But fear not, we're going to be covering some topic that applies to any kind of selling. Probably one of the most underrated aspects of sales. And I have to admit, probably something that I need to learn to do more of, because in sales, oftentimes, I want to get to the point. I want to make the conversation short. I feel like I don't want to waste people's time. But here we're going to analyze the benefits and the difference that happens when you inject, get this, stories into your sales process. Ravi Rajani has been doing this by advising companies you might have heard of, Crunchbase, Oracle, Insightly, Kosovo. These are large SaaS companies that have been implementing a lot of his story methodologies, which has massively increased the amount of sales that their teams have been able to generate. And you don't need to be in the technology field. You could be in real estate. You could be in automotive. You could be in personal development, whatever industry that you are in. If you have a sales process, which if you are in business, you obviously do, what is the power of stories? How do we use them? How does it increase sales? Is it important? We're going to find out today with Ravi. Welcome to the show. Dude, what an intro, man. Like, it's a, it's a pleasure to be around somebody who's just so obsessed with podcasting and takes it so seriously, man. I love it. Thank you for having me, brother. I appreciate you. Since we're talking about stories, I'm going to tell you one story to start with, which is I had a friend come up to me in Bali. And she was looking to start a podcast and she was a mentor of mine while I worked at Mindvalley. Like she was like the senior buddy and she kind of showed me around the office when I got started and my God, that's 10 years ago. Anyway, so she comes to me, she's like, Jason, I'm looking to start a podcast. You've done a ton. I'd love to ask you some advice. And I'm kind of like unconsciously competent. Like I don't know what I do necessarily to know if I'm doing it good or bad, but I seem to be doing okay. So your compliment does strike home. Thank you. But here was her question or here was her framing of doing her podcast. She's like, you know, I'm going to do my podcast and I'll just tell the guests I'm going to record the introduction after, right? And I told her, don't do that. I think one of the best things to do on a podcast is actually do the introduction because your goal is to hype up your guests. If you do it separately, like I personally hate being a guest on podcasts where they just go, first question. It's, it, you need to be hyped up and excited. So I'm glad that my introduction had that effect. <laughs> Brother, it did. And here's the interesting thing I found with my show is that not everybody is going to listen to the episode afterwards because maybe they're doing like 50 podcasts a month. So to make somebody truly feel seen, heard and understood, sharing their story and allowing them to sit back and listen to it is one of the most powerful gifts that you can actually give someone. 
fact, super fact. And, you know, it's very interesting because even if I publish on YouTube, for example, I actually cut the intro because your attention span drops like 50% within the first five seconds. So like when you go to YouTube, you don't have the intro. And I was explaining that, hey, you know what? That whole intro is actually for your guests to make sure we're charged up and ready to go. So with that, Ravi, we're talking stories today. And, you know, I wanted to start it off in that kind of premise I outlined in the intro, which is I'm someone who loves efficiency. I love getting to the chase and the whole concept of stories, especially talking to other businesses makes me think like, oh my God, are we wasting their time? So what's going on here? Brother, have you heard of Dr. Zoe Chance and her work? I have not actually. Enlighten me. So she's got a really cool book called Influence is Your Superpower and she's a Yale professor. And inside of her book, she talks about, I suppose, literally this exact thing, this objection that somebody might have of, you know, my decision makers are analytical, they want punchy information, blah, 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 blah. And she says, look, human beings think that they're making rational decisions all the time, but that's not actually the case. So she actually says that our brain is split into two. So one part is she calls the gator. So that's the unconscious, fast and snappy, the intuitive part of our brain. It's like our first responder. And Zoe actually says that this drives 95% of our decisions, which is insane, right? Then we've got the second part of our brain, which is the judge, the conscious, slow and deliberate part of our mind. And it's like being in court, right? Imagine being so deliberate with those tiny decisions. I mean, you don't go to the grocery store and say, look at this banana, look at the way it feels, how yellow is it? You just go, all right, cool, put it in there. So we're not making those type of deliberate decisions all the time. So let's take it back for a second. Now, inside of a book, she talks about a study that was conducted on around 1,100 parole decisions. Now, more specifically, I'm talking about Israeli judges who were deciding if somebody should go back to prison or head back into society. And Jason, the results are just insane, man. So when the judges weren't hangry, right, when they were refreshed at the start of the day or just after lunch, man, they would send prisoners back to society around two thirds of the time. But this was because the difficult decisions were taking up a lot of mental capacity, right? So when they were fatigued and hangry, the judge part of our minds found it difficult to make these hard decisions. So it went straight to the first responder. So right before lunch, the judges were sending virtually every prisoner back to jail because, hey, that was the easy decision to make, referring to the gator part of our brain. So what you're saying is that when we're actually having a conversation with a prospect is the default answer for anybody who's exhausted, tired to say no to anything that you propose. And what we're trying to find is a way to open up the possibility for them to actually give consideration to actually say yes. And is that where stories fit in? Well, I suppose what I'm trying to say with that specific piece is that all of us make decisions emotionally. We rely on the subconscious, even though we feel that we're rational human beings. According to Zoe's work, 95% of our decisions are made through the gator, aka emotions. So what I'm trying to get at is when somebody says, hey, get to the point, get to this, get to that, or can you be short, sharp and succinct? Yes, there's going to be, in my opinion, a scale or range in which people fit on that scale. But I believe we are all susceptible to stories. 
your prospects are reading books, stories. They are watching movies, stories, right? So they're absorbing them daily. It's just the context in which they're delivered and the way they're delivered. So I'll give you an example. And you mentioned it at the beginning was if somebody says, hey, get to the point, hit me up with a punchy, or, you know, just get straight to the point. I wouldn't say, hey, let me tell you a story about this one time. Like, because they're going to be like, ah, oh, get to the point, man, get to the point. I hit them straight with the hook, right? So I could go straight to the punchline of 25% of your revenue is coming from X because of this one hidden reason. That's the hook. And then I'd go straight into the context of the story. I'd share the conflict. I'd share the turning point. I'd share the transformation. Then I'd say, hey, this is what it means for you. And then I'd end with a call to action, which asks an open-ended question, for example, which elicits story as a response. So something like that, which is sure, sharp, punchy, 90 seconds to two minutes. And then over time, as I build more trust with that human being, I can layer in more stories. But if my first story can highlight a blind spot that that individual has, I'm starting to add value and become a trusted advisor. And all of a sudden, they're going to be way more susceptible to listening. So that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, nonetheless, you got that hook, which I know is an important part. And then the story piece is kind of playing a part to kind of open us up. Because if someone's going like, to get to the point and being that kind of like restricted in time, it's almost like they don't know if they should even give you the time and attention. But the moment you've gotten hooked in, then we're trying to get them to actually like lower their guard for say, or at least get them to be open to ideas. And like, tell me a bit more, like what happened when you went in those organizations and what you just, you started having more stories as part of the sales process. And like, how did that unfold? Meaning when I'm training companies, the process I take them through. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a framework and that framework is my story selling framework. And story is an acronym. I'm a sucker for a good acronym, man. Um, so story is an acronym. So S stands for simplify the fundamentals of storytelling. So for entrepreneurs, your testimonials aren't necessarily stories. Your case studies aren't stories. Your mission statements aren't stories. So it's really helpful when we understand what the story is in the context of sales, because this isn't Michelle from American Pie, where we're like this one time at Bandcamp, we're not doing that, right? We're trying to share stories which inspire prospects to take action. And there's a real difference that we can dig into in a second. And then I move to T, which is tactically create your story bank. Now, for entrepreneurs listening to this right now, for example, a founder story is incredibly powerful for your brand. You know, I just, well, I'm actually finishing up some work with a CEO of a large tech company based over in Atlanta. And the first thing we did for him was forget about all the stories inside of your sales process. Let's nail that founder story, that North Star. So what I do is, I really give the leaders, the sales leaders, the different stories that they can share at different stages of the sales process. And Jason, we actually start crafting one. We don't start crafting five, 10, 20. We start crafting one because people struggle with telling stories in general. So, hey, let's not create decision fatigue. And then we move to O. So after they use my story framework and craft their story, they then move to O, which is obtain delivery mastery. So that's where you do like a Hollywood style table read. And Jason, what they do there is they practice it till they're blue in the face. 
And I'm talking about the pitch, the pace, the tone, the intonation, the pauses, the emphasis, everything that makes a good story great in terms of delivery. Now, when I say story, we're still talking about, for example, a 60 second to two minute story, punchy, something punchy. So then what we do is we move to R, which is ramp your MVP story. And with that, we're taking that story to market, we're testing, we're tweaking, and we're iterating. And then we move to Y, which is yield long-term results. So for the entrepreneurs listening to this, it could be that, hey, you want to build more trust and collapse time in the sales cycle. So that's the KPI you're looking at. So we find that one KPI we want to move the needle forward on, and we figure out, okay, what needs to happen in order to reduce this and how do we know or increase this and how do we know once it's been achieved and we track that and then we loop back into crafting the next story so that's the story selling framework which hey i like to really shout from the rooftops about because i'm passionate about it well i think it's a very relevant framework and to be honest it's something that as i mentioned in the intro i've neglected to apply in a sales role but now that you explain it i can just see how much more powerful your sales conversation can be when you inject a process like this i did public speaking training and what was very fascinating to me in the public speaking space is how stories make for an interesting talk and i'm like well sales is also a talk and you're either doing it to a group or you're doing it to an individual and what you're reminding me and maybe reinforcing with a powerful framework here is how having this story bank, having this way of telling the story as part of your core script is just going to be so much better at gating people to walk down the line towards getting towards a close, building that rapport, making them understand and seeing themselves in the story, I would assume as well. Which brings me to the fact, you talked about the founder story here. That seems to be one of the core stories that most of us would probably want to start with. Is that a recommendation? For the entrepreneurs in your audience, I think the founder story can be so powerful. And I'll explain why. So the CEO who I've created this for, he's raised, I think, don't quote me, but probably around $100 million, right? They're a successful company. They're already doing well. And I'm like, dude, well, like, why do you want this story? You're already doing well. And he said, well, listen, three reasons, right? One, I want my leadership team sharing this story with new hires and existing employees to move the needle forward in their life and so that they can see themselves in my story and also to filter, right? For if you're a good fit for the company. The second thing is we want our sellers differentiating our products and humanizing themselves and the company. And the final thing is, is touching on what I just said to existing investors, we want to humanize the company, right? We want to explain that we're building a movement, right? We're building a movement around the mission. And the founder's story was the perfect North Star, which everything walks itself to now. If you want me to describe the exact framework I used, happy to do that as well, by the way. Well, I want to touch on the fact that if you are an entrepreneur, I can definitely see why this is so important. It's very interesting because for me, I tell people, you got to be clear on the impact you want to make. And I think your founder story is actually an elaborate way to make sure people connect with the reason you're even in business. Because if you don't even connect with that core, like, why are you even in business? And the other thing is, I think of like, why is it that I decided to go work? For example, I worked for Mindvalley for a while and it was like, what attracted me to go there? There was a founder story, an origin story there that attracted me as an employee. So if I was a sales representative and for anybody who isn't an entrepreneur, you are a salesperson working for an organization, 
I would demand a founder story so that I could sell more effectively because without it, it's almost like you're missing that foundation that gets people to understand why should I buy from you? Like, why are you going to really take care of me? Brother, I'm so with you. And the truth is, actually, this is my truth, is that I don't believe people care just about what you do. Now more than ever, they care about why you do it. So if you can explain what the company does and the why behind it, and as the founder, you use yourself as the main character, not to give yourself significance, but to give your audience significance so they can see themselves in your arc, in the pains, desires, and transformation. Matt, it is so, so powerful. And literally, it's selling without selling. It's selling without selling. And that's the beauty of storytelling, man. It's just the most authentic and organic way to influence people without being icky. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. And uh, well, now my curiosity is kind of, you know, propped up. And now I'm curious about you, Ravi. So you've probably haven't fallen on this, like Moses discovering the Ten Commandments. There's probably a story from how you end up building this framework and being so passionate about sharing it and working with these organizations. So I'd love to hear your story. Well, brother, I tell you what, I definitely didn't pop out of my mother's womb and was like, hey, I want to work in the world of storytelling. <laughs> like, that's, that's not how it happened, man. So I remember I was about eight or nine years old when my mom, Jason, literally shoved me into the same dance school as my little sister. And I really remember this because on the outside, I was fuming because I was the only dude in my entire school in this dance class, right? But internally, I was like, wow. This is kind of dope. I started to fall in love with the stage. And eventually my mum let me quit. But what I didn't know was my best friend's dad, as I grew up, as I was in my teens, my best friend's dad was a playwriter. So he started writing me into plays and local theatre. And one play led to another. And eventually I had the opportunity to actually perform at the National Theatre over here in London. So growing up, Everybody was always like, yo, man, are you going to take this whole acting, presenting or speaking thing seriously? Because we think you're pretty good at it, Rev. And Jason, in my mind, I was like, uh, no, I want to make some money. Like my ego had watched the movie Wall Street with Gordon Gecko one too many times. And I was like, that's it. I want to work in Wall Street. So that's what I ended up doing, right? I finished up my degree in business school. And I headed over to the trading floor at Citibank where I began my career in corporate sales. So that's where it all really began for me. But I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I thought it was everything I had ever wanted on paper. And then I got there and I was like, oh, why does this not feel the way I thought it would feel internally? I was like, on paper, I have everything, but there was a void inside of me, but I didn't want to admit it because... I was worried about how it would look to all my friends, how it would look to society, because I had been chasing this goal for so long. So eventually, in August 2016, I pressed eject. I was like, okay, deuces, I'm done. But so many amazing experiences from that world and friends for life. But what I ended up doing was building what I now call at the time a portfolio career. So I was leading and building products and sales teams in early stage startups. I was dabbling in the world of TV and radio here in the UK. I was trying my hand at coaching, consulting, really experimenting. And over time, it led me to starting my business in September 2020. And it's funny, the, the mission has evolved and the business has evolved. But there's three things that became so apparent, Jason. And the first one was, was 
why does it feel illegal for salespeople to bring their true personality to a sales conversation? And for the entrepreneurs, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. You talk to a human being at a bar, you're like, hey, what's going on? Suddenly you call it a sales conversation and you sound like, hello, how are you doing? My name is Jimmy, right? It's like it's illegal to bring who you really are. The second thing I realized was there was a lot of feature dumping. There was a lot of feature dumping and little to no storytelling. And the final thing I realized was every presentation, because I believe everything's a presentation, felt exactly the same. People were suffocating their personality and their values. So it's led me to the mission I'm on right now as I talk to you, which is helping B2B tech companies really sell more through the art of storytelling. One, I love the story and it explains why you're here and it's so amazing. And two, I love the meta observation of the story on how that's so amazing to hear that was entertaining that was fun and it's getting me engaged and i'm like wow i want to hear more about what you do because if this is the level of passion you have because of what journey you had then obviously you're doing something that's different than most people that you say are like hi i'm jimmy the salesperson right so i think we're starving for this i think so brother i think like you said at the beginning i think a lot of people focus in the sales world and entrepreneurs they focus on okay closing negotiation pricing structures but I think two things that they don't focus on, or I suppose, actually, wrong to say don't focus on because I don't know the individual listening, but two things that I think that are overlooked is one, doing the inner work so you can become comfortable in your own skin. And two is storytelling. And I think those two things are incredible because, man, you can teach somebody the best sales strategies in the world, but if they themselves are not comfortable in who they are and their own story, then there's no hope. Ravi, I think that's why we're on a conversation together. You got the story piece, right? And it's so funny because my, my book's called Selling with Love. And the last chapter is self-love is what you need to sell with love. And it's almost like the whole book is a Trojan horse to make people discover that it's the self-work that needs to be done to deal with the emotional up and downs that happen in sales. And then, you know, the rest is actually putting on some structures and tools that really allow you to kind of unleash that once you've gotten that kind of baseline confidence. And this stories plane is such a powerful place to start because most people, like you said, are like, you have to close more. And it's like, yeah, but you can address a lot of the resistance to closing by just having the powerful stories that includes the kind of obstacles that they're already thinking about objections. You can inject that in stories, et cetera. And so... One of the things I wanted to get from you here on this conversation that I think would be super helpful is you mentioned story banks. And to me, it, there must be a few key stories. We've already covered the founder and how powerful that is. Are there other key stories you feel would be so important for us to kind of know at least at a basic level so that we could be more effective in our sales? Dude, I love your questions, man. It's so cool to be on a show like this, man. I love it. So kudos to you again for your intentionality. It just speaks volumes. So yeah, there's a few different stories. Now, there's five that I'm really excited about right now in a recession because I think they're really, really powerful and they don't require any approval from a CEO or any, you can craft them right now as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, whoever you are. Okay, so the first story is what I really like to think about as the elevator story, meaning the objective is to hook the human being. So that's a punchy 45 to 60 second story 
that allows your prospect to become the hero of the story and it sparks enough intrigue for you to land that first meeting, right? So think about you being at a networking event, right? I've had this so many times where somebody comes over and says, so what do you do, right? And everyone comes up with the same old response. So how can you deliver something that is punchy and on point? And we can go through an example shortly. But the second story is if you want to build a human-to-human -human connection with another human being, it's the personal story, which doesn't just explain what you do, but why you do it. So Jason, that story that I shared with you, because you asked me how I got started, I probably shared that 200 times. I've lost count. So it's the same story I've shared before. So it's that type of narrative. The third story is if you want to accelerate trust, there's nothing better than a customer success story. So that is allowing your prospect to see themselves in the main character and ultimately choose you as their Yoda, right? Potentially choose you or see you as their Yoda to take them from pain to glory. The fourth story, which I'm excited about right now, is the reverse resistance story, which is handling an objection before it even arises, right? So I don't like the idea personally of getting to the end of a conversation and somebody saying, oh, that's too expensive. I'd rather just be a human being and handle that through story up front. The fifth story, which is very powerful right now, which a lot of people are asking me about is the cost of inaction story. Not the return of investment, but what does somebody have to lose by not moving forward with you? And let's paint a picture of it. If you've ever seen the movie A Christmas Carol, you'll remember the third ghost, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who walks Scrooge through the future, right? What life will look like if his behavior stayed exactly where it was. And that was the story that got Scrooge to change because the perceived effort, right? The perceived cost of staying as he was, was a lot higher than the effort of change. So those stories are the ones that I really like to get people to focus on in a methodical way. But to be honest, an elevator story is the one where I think people should start because all of the rest are irrelevant if you can't get somebody's attention. I'm of the belief that the goal is the following. Get somebody's attention, keep it, and then earn the opportunity to solve their problem. Now, you can't do all of the other stories if you don't have somebody's attention. Okay. If you're listening to this or watching on YouTube, this is the part where you're going to be rewinding and taking notes. And we're going to try to create some handouts for all of you in the community. So you actually have a checklist of everything that's been covered here. Because this is golden. Like, I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, I have some that I know I've done. Okay, I got a couple of those. I know which ones I'm missing. And like, I have some of my customer case studies, but I haven't framed it in a story. And the gold gem to me is this cost of inaction story. Oh my God. Like in the fact that you said it with the story of Scrooge is just like, yeah, that is what gets people to change, right? Question for the cost of inaction story. Do you have to paint? Like, is that something that you make up? Like what's the level of reality versus fiction? Is there an ethical thing you have to consider? Like how do you craft that inaction story? Yeah, this is my take on it is you know, you've got to be ethical with it. And the way I like to see is if I'm having a conversation with you, right? And we're 5% of the way through a conversation. And I say, hey, Jason, here's what you have to lose by not partnering with me. You're going to be like, dude, I don't know you. 
So actually, thank you, but no thank you. So to preface this, it requires enough rapport and it requires you to have done effective discovery so you understand the buyer's story, what their problem is. They're then admitted to actually having that problem, the magnitude of it and wanting it solved. And you understand what their story, what their narrative is right now, right? Because you've done effective discovery. You've asked the right questions. And if you're really a trusted advisor, 75% of the way through a conversation, for example, if I were to paint a picture around, man, look, there's two roads we can really go down here. And you can paint a vivid picture around, look, staying as you are, this is what could occur, right? The good the bad, the ugly. But if you were to shift your behavior, this is what could occur because I have a client who is in your shoes and this is what happened to them. So it's kind of mixed up with a customer success story because you're going to allow them to see themselves in somebody who was in their shoes, but took action. And then hopefully they're going to win to be that human being. I love it. By the way, I love the fork in the road technique. That's something I also really like and just painting that vivid picture. And I was going to say then, if we want to get that kind of hook story there, I think that's probably going to be the best takeaway I'd love to leave people with here. If we've covered, because we've covered a lot in this session already, like we've talked about how we behaviorally will respond to stories better. We are dictated by our emotions way more than we'd like to admit to. And stories is a way to get our emotions to be on board with whatever change of behavior we want to do, which a sales process inevitably bring us to. And now you've talked about the power of it. You've talked about the different ones we could develop. And the most important one being this kind of elevator pitch one. What are some of the fundamentals that we should be able to do to be able to craft that elevator one without sounding like a broken record? <laughs> yeah, man. <mate. laughs> so there's two ways to look at it, right? There's the 45 second elevator story, which I teach, but often we need to earn the opportunity for that story. And often we don't have enough time. So there's a ladder here. Okay. So let's take a look at the first eight to 10 second message we can share to often earn the opportunity to share that elevator story. And then I'll break down the elevator story. So when Steve Jobs released the iPod in, I think, 2007, don't quote me, but he said something along the lines of, it's like having a thousand songs in your pocket. And the crowd went crazy because they're like, oh yeah, I get it. And they want to know more. So the question is, is what can you say to another human being, which makes them tilt their head, crinkle their forehead and go, huh? Like I'm confused. Tell me more. Right. So I'll give an example. If you said, hey, what are you doing? I said, hey, man. So you know how parents share bedtime stories with their kids to get them to sleep? Well, I teach salespeople how to share sales stories so they get their prospects to take action, right? So then you're like, oh, maybe tell me more. So I have a client who says something along the lines of, so you know how Amazon created a marketplace for the world of books? Well, that's exactly what we're doing for the world of metals. So then somebody goes, ah, tell me more. So the idea here is, is create this air of curiosity through this type of hook through this type of analogy. So one template for everybody is, so you know how X did whatever for this industry? Well, that's what we're doing for the industry of Y. So that's like one little framework somebody can take away. And then you've earned the opportunity because that's like eight to 10 seconds, right? Then you've earned the opportunity for the elevator story. So I would start with a hook. So Jason, I would probably start with something along the lines of, look, man, I've got two responses here. The boring one full of corporate jargon or the exciting one? Which one do you want to hear? 
right? So hopefully you're going to say the exciting one. So I'm going to start in a very unpredictable way to give an effective pattern interruption to teach this human being that the next 45 seconds are going to be very different. So I need you to pay attention. So whatever that hook is for you. So I was training this sales team over in Chicago and one of the ladies who crafted a hook, it was something around this. So I said to her, so what do you do? And she said, well, Ravi, from the experience that you've had with us of our brand, what do you think we do? And I was like, oh my God, that's incredible, right? So think of an effective hook, which grabs your prospect. Okay, then we move into the context of the story where we make your prospect the main character and we set the scene. So I'd say, Jason, imagine for a second that you're the VP of sales for a CRM solution based over in San Francisco. So suddenly what I've done is I've created a hypothetical scenario by telling you to imagine a new world and I've made you the main character of this story. And I've also called out my ideal client that I like to partner with. And then I'll say, but here's the thing. Your team are struggling to close deals because they're shoving features down your prospect's throat, right? Now I'm entering into the conflict and I can say something along the lines of, and man, guess what? Every single quarter, you're secretly anxious about presenting your numbers to the board because you know they may not be where they should be, right? And then I'm going to go into the turning point, which is, look, you know you want your team to sell in a way that builds trust that builds a human-to-human -human connection and really sells without selling. That's the exact thing I'm obsessed about. So that was the turning point, that piece there. And then the transformation is, is that's the exact thing I'm obsessed about, giving you hope, okay, that you could also achieve a similar transformation. And then I'd deliver the prospect impact, meaning here's what it means to you. It's funny because my pure focus is helping people just like you ditch feature selling and sell more through storytelling. And then I'll move to the call to action, which isn't book a call with me, okay? It needs to meet the human being with where they are at inside of their journey today. So I could say something simple along the lines of, Jason, what about you? What do you do? And also calling out that person's name, right? is super powerful because most people don't listen. So if you showcase you can listen, man, it's a game changer. So I'll shut up there because I've spoken for about 20 minutes straight, but hopefully that uh, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And it's been a, such a pleasure to have you on the show to share with us. And again, I've made a bit of a recap about the fact that, listen, everyone, if we're paying attention here, we are emotional. Stories make us respond. There's a few key stories we want to be focused on. The key ones that I really am taking away from here is the founder story. It's something I know I've refined for myself in the process of writing a book, but I want to inject it into my sales processes because it's important for understanding the why. Ravi really made that clear as well as how there's other key stories, how to get people's hook, the attention when you're going to be doing this elevator pitch and then actually preparing it. One of the biggest ones, again, making sure I have a client story that I can make people see themselves in that client story and the success that they can have. The cost of inaction story, that can be something I can always use at the end of the sales process if I still see some resistance and I can empathize with them because I don't want them to end up like the person I paint in the cost of inaction story. Those were the things that jumped at me and I'm taking most action about. I'd be curious to know what is it that you're most excited about implementing from what you heard today. Be sure to join the Facebook community if you're not part of it yet. We are having more conversations there and we were able to watch this live. With that, Ravi, I have one more question I wanna ask you. As you are on the Selling With Love podcast, which is 
What does selling with love mean to you? Good question. Selling with love, what does it mean to me? I actually think it starts with you. Here's what I mean. My secret mission outside of everything, the byproduct of all of this is helping people show up as who they truly are and unapologetically self-expressed. Now, the vehicle is storytelling, right? But I think that's what selling with love begins with, which is owning who you truly are and having love for the human that you are versus who you think others want you to be. And then I think it moves to really being somebody who, it sounds cliche, but is seen as a trusted advisor to your client because I love the people that act in my best interest because when I need an opinion, I want to go to them because I know they're not selling me something that is because it's going to give them commission. They're selling my love, which means they really care about getting me to the right result. I love those people. So that's how I see it. I, see, I think it starts with you and I think it transitions into being an actual trusted advisor. Ravi, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a wealth of information for everybody to take home. So everyone, stories, they are important. They speak to our emotional mind. They speak to our prefrontal cortex. And when you bring it into the sales process, just like in every other way that we communicate through stories, it's just as or more important to use stories in your sales process. For those of you who enjoy this conversation and you want to go deeper with Ravi, be sure to go to his website, which is going to be the Ravi rajani.com. We'll have it in the show notes for you. You can book him for one-on-ones. He has a ton of services. He does some public speaking as well. And hey, if you're a B2B sales team looking to drive up revenue, you know who to call. Robbie, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, brother. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.